Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Welcome back, Dave. Good to see you again. I, I'm excited today because this will be um, the second appearance of one of our guests. We're, we're, at, we're at the point now where we are getting so in-depth with our guests that it's, it's almost heartbreaking when we have to say, oh, the 23 minutes is up. We got to go. Yeah, I know. You know what? I would say that with every guest, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you, you just, you don't get enough. And then there's a few who will kindly offer to come back and we can drill down even deeper. Exactly. Right? So today's guest is Marcel Lebrun. Uh, we interviewed him uh, just a little while ago. Uh, and we really dug deep, just to remind yourself and Marcel, we really dug deep into Marcel's uh, entrepreneurial uh, background, coming uh, out of the world of uh, MBTEL and iMagic TV and Radiant 6, Salesforce. Um, really good, solid CEO uh, background and experience. We talked a little bit about failure uh, and about getting back up on, on the feet, a whole bunch of really great things. If you haven't heard the episode, just go to boilingpointpodcast.com and just look for Marcel LeBron 1.0. Today is 2.0 because the stuff we didn't get to uh, get into last time was Marcel's passion for addressing uh, the topic of, of poverty, um, as well as uh, uh, social entrepreneurship and his new venture, which is this incredible ranch. And it's, it's a, a camp for kids uh, in uh, just outside Sussex, New Brunswick. Uh, really, really neat stuff. And uh, I need to shut up and just get him onto the phone here because he's got a lot of cool stuff to share. So, uh, Marcel, you're there. Well, yeah, and thanks for having me back. I feel like I've entered this kind of secret room of, of, uh, second episodes of boiling, boiling point. So it's well, exciting. Well, it, it's an honor to have you back, man. This is great. <laughs> so why, why don't we start, uh, Marcel with, uh, uh, assuming that all of our guests have, have heard, uh, part one of this interview, let's get right into, uh, you know, the, the next stage by maybe you giving us a good understanding of what this whole concept of, uh, social venture and social entrepreneurship is, and then launch that right into what your, your latest project is. Yeah, well, it's a really exciting area. Um, it's it's interesting when you when you start a business or you work a job for that matter. Uh, there's a whole spectrum of experiences that people have between, you know, they're doing this um, to put food on the table, or doing this, or they're doing this because they're really excited about the purpose that an organization has. And and if you think about, you know, companies, I guess the the history of even when, uh, you know, we started to, in the industrial area, move into having large corporations, it's because we can accomplish things together that we can't accomplish ourselves. And really the purpose of business is really to, you know, to serve each other. And, uh, but somehow that can be lost and you can feel like you're just doing a job. And, um, and so as an entrepreneur, I think one of the things that entrepreneurs discover is that, you know, they get to work on things that they love to do, but we all should be doing that. And one of the things that um, I happen to have migrated into, and I'd say there's been kind of a journey where um, as I've done different companies and different things, my uh, criteria for how much I love the cause 
and the vision of the organization goes up and that, that becomes more and more important to me versus, Hey, this is just a good, you know, kind of business idea. Like we can make money at this. That becomes less and less important. And that's kind of uh, got me migrating a little more to, you know, an area we call social entrepreneurship. And there's uh, several touch points that, that I've had in that area, but just where you're looking at, you know, creating companies that make sense as a business, but also um, solve really important problems. And so, um, and of course, as you know, uh, Greg, with uh, Hemings House be becoming a, a B Corporation recently, there's kind of this focus on, you know, why do we only have one bottom line that is profit, but we really should have multiple bottom lines that we measure the business. And so like the B Corps look at profit, people, and the planet, and just being, you know, good stewards of, of the resources that we have. So that's just been um, a real exciting development for me. Can I ask a question? And it's it relates yeah. to our first interview. Um, and and uh, as an entrepreneur myself, I, you know, actually, it really caused me to pause and reflect on, you know, what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and the impact it's having. And and it's the irony is that that's initially what attracted me. And then you get so into trying to make this thing go, right? And yeah. and then you kind of go away from it. And um and and in our actually in our conversation with you, um it just it was it was actually a really good reminder for me. It was like, yeah, you know what, get back to what's important, you know, like why you got this going in the first place. And so that I'm just and you know, and I I don't want to hold on to that. Um and the, the reason I bring that up, Marcel, is I'm just wondering and you you spoke up a little bit of it in the last the last time, but you know, like was this kind of um, moving to more purpose driven? Is it you know something that's always been there and a little latent, or you know, or is it you know like just need to be uncovered, or did it you know was there a certain point in your life, or how would you describe just getting to a place where you wanna you're saying you know it's more than just making money and and uh, and and you know and and I really want to invest my time and energy. Yeah. <clears throat> It's a great question. I have two two thoughts on that. Um, one on the the comment you made about um, how you you kind of start out there, but then you get focused on you know, how do I make this thing go and and you know kind of the nuts and bolts of the business, and then kind of losing sight of that because there's a really um, interesting point on that I'll, I'll come back to. But for, for me, getting there, I think it's just been as I've um, experienced, you know, doing things that impact other people, I've just, you know, decided this is where I want to spend more time, you know, in my life. I love uh, one of my favorite, uh, you know, quotes from uh, Henry David Thoreau is that the price of something is the amount of life one is willing to exchange for it. And you start to see the time and energy that you put into something you know, as a, as a price, not just money. And, uh, and I just felt that more and more when I, you know, if I look at a business and, you know, I helped somebody, um, go from one place to another and really impacted their life. Uh, I just wanted to do more of that and then just necessarily pocketing some change and, uh, buying stuff. And so I guess just as I've kind of experienced more of it, it just became for me something I wanted to turn the dial up to the point that now it's really what my life is about full time is really, um, you know, helping others. And I've been fortunate enough to have enough success in business that I can, you know, spend more time doing that, which is wonderful. Um, 
So that's on that. But on the first thought, I wanted to mention something is that one of the things I've really noticed is some of the best uh, leaders that I've had the benefit of learning from are they don't rest until they kind of recast their purpose over and over again. And what I notice is that leaders can get very uh, burdened uh, with their business when they've lost that. And it's, it's easy to lose and it's hard to get back. And we often look for someone else to kind of charge us up, you know, like who's going to come in and kind of share this vision. And that's why we, we hold great leaders in high esteem because they get up there and they paint this vision and we're like, wow, that's exciting. Uh, but that's the challenge for us is to uh, work hard at it. And it's a kind of thing that doesn't just uh, hit you in the night. It's like, really hard work. It's really hard work to hammer out why are we here as an organization? How is it that we're going to, you know, have an impact and to kind of recast that over and over and make it fresh every year based on, you know, how the world is changing. And the best leaders do that amazingly well and they simplify it such that people just go, I get that and I want to join that. And I think that's just a one of the most powerful traits of, of any leader and, and, and they charge themselves up as well uh, while they do it. You know, they kind of renew their own uh, kind of uh, commitment to, to where they're headed. So on this point, and we want to get into what you're, you know, what's going on in terms of um, some of the projects you've got going on, but I think this is a really interesting, like it's almost like a developmental question in your opinion if you were to give advice on how to continue to recalibrate or whatever that process, like what, you know, describe what you would, you know, advise someone else. And everyone recognizing that everyone's going to have their own way of going about it. But, um, you know, if you, your lens on, on making sure that, that, um, you don't kind of lose the, the passion, the purpose, the vision, um, you recalibrate, you simplify it. Like, how, you know, break, can you break that down a little bit so someone listening who might be in the in the the throes of kind of having this, you know, lost not lost it, but it's you know, it's not as evident, and they wanted to get a, do the hard work as you described it to get back. What do they do? Yeah, great question. I think first of all, I think the first thing that's important in that <clears throat> is that the barometer of whether you've got it or not is whether you yourself are really excited about it. Um, for example, if you ask me to get up and present on a topic that, um, you know, you just gave me, I probably will suck at it because I just don't believe it in my in most being. But if I really believe it, I'm a really great presenter. And I think the first question is, as those leaders work through it is, to keep at it until they get to something they go that, you know, I can just talk about all day. And so that I think is really important, kind of don't quit until you have that. And then I think it it tends to have, the the vision tends to have a few components. One is it's, it's relevant to some things that are going on. You know, everyone's looking at, you know, what's happening in the world today. There's always trends social trends, technology trends, economic trends, you know, does your vision speak to those things? And then there's needs that people will, you know, readily understand, you know, this is broken, needs to be fixed, or this is an opportunity. And the the best visions basically, you know, tell a story of 
here's these things happening in the world today. It's causing this problem or this need. And, you know, here, we're here to help that. And, um, and then, by the way, we happen to make a product that, you know, that fits into that, that equation. And a lot of times, you know, people will just come up with, well, here's this product. You know, this is what, and, and our vision is to double in sales next year. That's not really a vision. That, that could be a great goal, but your vision is to uh, see an outcome, something changed. And so you, you got to kind of keep wrestling with that. How do you connect it to that bigger thing that you feel you can call people to join you who want to join you for the cause as opposed to for the job? If you can get them to join you for the cause, then you've got them. Yeah, that's the kind of culture you want, the kind of employees you want. And uh, then they're not just there for the paycheck. You know, they need to be well paid, but that's that just rounds it out as opposed to the reason they came. Marcel, it's interesting. Uh, I think it was probably a year and a half ago, Dave really helped me redefine the vision of Hemings House. And yeah. really amazing things started to happen after, after that. Um, and thankfully, my particular team... I really believe bought into it a lot, and there, there's there's fantastic alignment there. Um, what would you say for a piece of advice for somebody who, let's say, a leader or CEO who has a team, who the leader finally is able to articulate that vision and passionately goes in, but it's so not the norm of that culture to understand vision or to be led by a passionate visionary. It's, it could be a shock to the system, to a culture, where <clears throat> some employees might say, might say, yeah, I'm in, or other very valuable uh, employees might be like, oh, whatever, and some might be scared away. Um, there's inherent risk in doing this, but it's far riskier in not doing it. But let's address it for a second. Yeah. You know, like if, like, let's say in, in your uh, former role at the CEO at uh, Radiant 6, if you came in halfway through, let's say, five years into the organization and came in with a whole, not a new vision, but articulated vision. How do you get everybody on board? Because it's not about getting rid of everybody and then finding that new team that's, that's going to follow you. It's about changing the culture within so everybody follows that vision. But like, that's not an easy thing to do. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a great question. I think the, the, the secret there is connecting the vision to uh, action and execution. And um, if it's just a vision, but you haven't, as a leader, translated it into what does this mean for me today, then it's not a very, po- it's just kind of a story. And, and it's not really believable because it's a story the CEO tells. Um, but if you can translate it and say, for this vision, these are the seven things we need to do this year to make it happen, then everybody goes, okay. And and you're responsible for number three. And so, uh, because everybody, uh, you know, regardless of culture, this is to me a human universal principle is everybody wants to know what their purpose is and how it's connected. They want to know, like, how is what I'm doing moving the, you know, important to the whole, to everybody else. And, and you want it to be a valuable thing and people get, um, you know, kind of discouraged when they don't see that. So the more you can connect it all the way through to goals and then actions, then you've got a really powerful vision. And it can be it can be out there a little bit, um, but not so far that it's like just a story that doesn't relate to what we do every day. That's the key. 
Okay. Well, listen, one thing I don't want to happen is for this no. engaging conversation to go to a point where I'm like, uh-oh, time's up again. Time. So listen, we've uh, we've got about eight minutes left. I would l- really love for the audience to kind of get charged up with what you are doing now. And I, you know, I know there's a number of things you're doing now, but yeah. you've got a, a certain passion for tackling the issue of poverty in our in our society. And uh, there's certain uh, things that you're doing actively right now um, to to start, you know, impacting that. Can you share with us anything you'd like to share? Because uh, it's quite inspiring sure. from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, uh, what happened is as I've, you know, kind of uh, transitioned, I guess I wouldn't say out of the tech world, but out of uh, a full-time capacity, at least in the tech world, I'm still involved in helping to try to grow as many startups as we can. I'm involved with various initiatives like that and promoting impact entrepreneurship. And I'll always continue to do that and helping meet with CEOs of tech startups, especially if it's an area that I know. Uh, but as, as I've focused on what's my personal vision and my, you know, my personal vision statement, I really started focusing on, you know, kind of this <clears throat> really, in fact, meditating on kind of this, this statement, the golden rule statement to, you know, to, uh, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself, that whole concept, and to really uh, kind of think about what, it, how do you actually do that, and am I doing it, and just started to, to learn more about uh, things, and, and as I started to uh, think about, well, what, what, is the, what is the concept in this neighbor, at least that's a, that's a, a statement that's, uh, um, that, that, Christ made. And I'm like, well, what did he mean by neighbor? And uh, you start seeing these different kinds of people that started to pop out as neighbors, like uh, people who are poor or people who are oppressed. And you start learning about that and you realize, okay, there's 27 uh, million uh, people in the world today that are uh, traded as slaves. It's a bigger problem than in the day when we thought we had slavery. Today, a lot of people think we don't, but it's actually a huge issue. And, you know, are we, what are we doing to help the oppressed, you know, those that are slaves or, you know, the homeless or those that are, you know, um, sick, you know, those kinds of things. So I've just been on a journey um, of discovering how do you do that well, just like I was, how do you build software companies well, and, um, and then leaning into that. <clears throat> so some things came up. You mentioned the ranch. Um, you know, this was just um, uh, a kids camp in New Brunswick that uh, has been there for 25 years, but was uh, was in the process of uh, closing because the organization uh, that owned a number of these across Canada was uh, kind of going back to their core business and getting out of this. And so, so we bought this, and we've been in the process of casting a new vision. Uh, for that camp. And we just finished an amazing summer uh, with hundreds of kids that we've had the privilege of investing in their lives. It's actually a, a ranch with horses and and we can handle about 100 kids there who, who come and spend a week of camp. And it's just been great fun to work with, uh, you know, 30 some university and high school age young staff that, that we've been able to work with this summer and to just create great experiences for kids. And so that's something that, you know, we didn't necessarily 
sit back and plan and say that's what we want to do. But it came along and we kind of said, hey, let's jump into this. And we've learned a ton from that. And um, and then there's an, another area that I've, I've started working on, which is um, an area I call 12 Neighbors, which came from my kind of thinking about that question of uh, how do you love your neighbor and who's your neighbor? And where I really came up with like kind of 12 types of situations that I just determined, I said, okay, I want to have something going on with all 12 of these. And I've just learned what I realized is I knew almost nothing about poverty and my mind's been blown in terms of um, what I've learned uh, about poverty. Um, and, and one of the things that's blown my mind is, is my definition uh, would have started with a typical Western definition of, of poverty is a lack of material things. You know, I'm missing something. I don't have money. I don't have food. You know, something's lacking. Mm -hmm. But I started to discover that it's far more uh, all-encompassing and far more complex than that. And uh, there are, if you ask a poor person how they perceive poverty, it's not lack of stuff. It's associated with with powerlessness and shame and uh, of low value and these kinds of things. So sometimes when we think we're helping with poverty, we're actually hurting because we're reinforcing those things while we think we're just solving the material things. So I'm on a journey of uh, learning how to how to um, you know how to make a difference in these areas. So you're in, you know this it sounds almost like it's been a calling for you, Marcel. You know, like it didn't, you know, it's something that's, that's pushing you and driving you forward and, 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 you know, trying to answer all these questions. Are you, I mean, is it, what, what's, what's the biggest learning as you kind of go kind of through these thresholds of learning or, uh, or knowledge well, or, you know, or, or, or new experiences or, you know, whatever those may be? Yeah. I mean, I think I get, I get, um, the more I learn, the humbler I get because, hmm. I, I realize that um, that I realize that all of the uh, benefits that the fortunate things that I've had in my life are received. You know, uh, that's not to say that I didn't make something of what was given me, but even that ability was received. And um, and as you meet people in different circumstances that you connect with, and you realize that they're beautiful and brilliant and in different situations, you just get humbler because you get more grateful for, you know, what you do have and more respect it, you respect more, you know, everyone. And one of the things that, um, uh, that, that I really have learned a lot about poverty is that, uh, that we all have it. It's a, it's multidimensional, and that we're all poor in some way. Hmm. And um, it's not that hey, here's somebody who's got it all together, and here's somebody who's entirely broken, and you know we're we're here to kind of fix the situation um, because things aren't quite that simple. And uh, and and for me also, just the value of relationship has really grown. That's been a big thing uh, where I'm kind of an engineer who likes to build stuff and get stuff done. And uh, as I get older, I value relationship more and just kind of tasks a little bit less, even though I have to admit I'm still a very task-oriented, get-stuff-done kind of person. But that's just 
kind of uh, you know, embedded in my, my engineering uh, DNA, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> It happens with engineers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, Marcel, um, I, I've got two requests for you. Um, one is, would you do the honor of whenever 12 Neighbors becomes uh, a, 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 an official thing and is fully articulated and ready to be released to the world— would you do the official launch and release on the Boiling Point as your 3.0 visit? Sure, sure. Be happy to do that. <laughs> okay, because here... He's shameless. We really are. Um, uh, we have to reevaluate the timing of our podcast because I, I want to keep going, and we will keep going. And Marcel, I want to get you on a third time when the time is right for you. This is really inspiring stuff, and... Uh, uh, and Marcel, typically we we hang up and do takeaways, but let's just do a, a couple right now, Dave, with Marcel on the phone. Sure. Um, I would say for me, just the the passion and the care that that uh, Marcel has given back into the community uh, is so measurable and so so obvious. You know, uh, coming out of a, a very successful experience with his uh, previous companies, and now he's putting so much energy back into the community that uh, my takeaway is it is all of our responsibility as entrepreneurs to to be very careful with the success that we have to make sure that we are making that positive impact that we we continue to, to talk about it is our responsibility as as uh, as part of this this global community that we that we live in and Marcel is a, is a wonderful example of that and inspiration how about you Dave um yeah you know what a lot i mean so much right but i would build on your on your idea of you know the responsibility and uh and actually something marcel said in our uh, in our interview or you know this the 2.0 version is this idea that you know having the good fortune to be in a position to you know i heard that statement and i'm thinking to myself well you know what maybe maybe we don't have to wait till we're in a position to do something mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and live with compassion you know maybe you know it's we it's within us all and and I and and I I would challenge that a little bit for myself to say well no Dave it's not maybe good enough to wait till you feel like you've reached that point because you know maybe that point never comes for me you know what I mean so I would kind of challenge people listening to say maybe it's time to act now and in little ways maybe not in the same maybe not to the same level mm-hmm. but but um but that's what it's kind of inspired within me as I as I I listen to Marcel and, and, and I think, um, you know, um, it's neat to hear someone who's had some, you know, success as we measure success as entrepreneurs, um, you know, reach back and dig in and say, okay, so now what? And it's interesting what you just said. Uh, it reminds me of uh, the, the recently passed uh, Wayne Dwyer when he, his whole thing was you don't wait to, for the things that you want in your life to happen. You start living uh, the life that you want to live, and then that will create the attraction, uh, which makes so much sense. So we need to start making impact now. Right. No waiting. Right. Those are great point, guys. I think you guys need to come on my podcast. You know, you guys are the ones that are inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a podcast, though. But when you do, when you do. will be my first guest. Might be you one guys of, will be my first one guest. Of first, one, of the, one of the 12 neighbors is the podcast. That's right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. I, and in all reality, Marcel, when you're ready, we will help you with that podcast. We, know, we know how to do it. Marcel, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, we are going to try to beg you for a third interview when uh, the time is right for you and uh yeah again th- thanks again for coming back on man yeah. really appreciate it many thanks marcel great chatting with you guys Bye. okay okay take care bye-bye 
Well, we've done our takeaways, and um, and I, I really appreciate you uh, introducing me to, to Marcel via this podcast. I, I, he's a guy I'd love to get to know more. Yeah. Um, lots of great lessons in there, and deep, deep thinker. And, he, and he's a great support to me and my company as well. Just one of those kind of big brother uh uh, coach type mentor people yeah, lots yeah, to give yeah. so let's uh, let's connect uh, again next week we've got some really awesome uh, guests lined up so uh, I'll see you next time on the Boiling Point alright thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod to see more from Dave Vale check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host, Roland Tanner, and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe.